Did you say perfect nude? Mood. Mood. Oh, okay. My bad. My wow. Bad. Where's your head at? No, I <laughs> legit. Uh, sorry. Wow. Sorry, perfect no, season. No, I know no. it's here, but shit. Behave yourself. Behave wow. yourself. Continue what you're Hello guys and welcome to the new season of Don't Let The Stands. You are here today with your host Eden and... Shopper. And we'll leave a little message for Nick here at the moment. Hello, it's Nick here. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to the next season of Don't Let The Stands. Just wanted to inform all the listeners, all the fans, all the supporters, um, who obviously were oh so grateful to, that... Um, I'll be stepping back from podcasts for the season just for wellness um, and mental reasons. Uh, I know that Eden and Shope will be able to hold it down um, while I'm away, but I'll be listening, obviously, and I'll be promoting the episodes, of course, um, and super proud of what they're going to bring to, obviously, the new season as well. Yeah, just a lot going on right now, but I will be back, fingers crossed, next year for next season. Super excited to see what happens and super excited just to get better for the listeners and for myself so we'll be back very very soon take care love you guys loads and have a great christmas um because it will be after christmas that i'm back um and a happy new year in advance as well um again thank you so much for listening and the support that you're going to give this season and just thank you for the support that you've given throughout the years for the people who have been around for so long. Um, yeah, love you guys and stay happy, blessed and healthy as well. Nick, out for now. All right, so it's a new season and it'll be Shopee and I on this season um, for season seven, just talking all things music and culture. It'll be a fairly short season um, just until we get to the Christmas period. But we've been getting a few tweets and having a few conversations with people who are saying they want the podcast back. They miss the podcast. And we had to put out a mini disclaimer a few months ago or last month, I think it was, um, just saying why we'd been away. Um, you know, all of the questions we were being asked, we put something out just to explain it to everyone. So if you don't know why we've been away, feel free to go back one episode to kind of listen to that and figure out why. But what's important is we are here and this is a new season of Don't Alert The Stands. Thank you so much, guys, for the love and the support. It's been amazing. And, you know, we feel it, we were just talking about it before recording. We're like, wow, people actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> like we're not talking to ourselves. So thank you so much, guys, for, you know, all of the support and everything. Um, but Shope, how are you doing? Wow, what a question. Um, but yes, to, ec to echo what you just said, yeah, no, um, this week has definitely been surreal in really understanding and reckoning with the fact that people do listen to us and people do <laughs> actually um, care about what we have to say and are appreciative of our of our music tastes and our opinions about music. So it's, it is very strange um, and surreal. And I'm very grateful to everyone who takes the time to listen to us talk. Um, but other than that, um, I would say... I'm doing really good, you know, forever tired and drained because of the ills of capitalism. But um, 
Do you know what I've been? I'm good. I've been, I was saying to Eden and to Nick as well that I've had a number of epiphanies um, personally, professionally, creatively in these last six weeks, and I'm now ending this year um, with a vision and direction for my life and career that I didn't think I was going to have. And I'm actually say, and I'm saying that I think a lot of that is probably because I've had more space to think because we've had such a long break from the show, which is why it's important to take a break. But and I'm, but now I'm glad that we're here doing it again and reminding people that we are still here because I definitely think people, some people thought, oh, is it over? And being com- completely transparent, I think, I think even amongst three of us ourselves thought, oh, are we going to continue doing this? But I just think it was, re- it was really good to have that time to really just um, be... In- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just really be insular. So hopefully that answers your question. Eden Mackenzie Goddard. Yeah, man, definitely answers my question. And you're right. Like, I'm very surprised at the moment that I'm recording this podcast, to be honest. Like, I feel like for me, I was like, just before we started the podcast, I had to sit down with myself and be like, rah, like, we're really doing this podcast again after so long. Um, and I don't think it was anything really personal. Like, Shop Nick and I are still good. We'll always be good. You know, we started this podcast. It'll be three years ago now, right? Yep. Yeah, we started this podcast three years ago. Three people who wanted to get into music um, in terms of like talk about it and all these different types of things and have gone in their own individual journeys. But, you know, come back here and talk with each other about music. So I think for each of us, it's taught us a lot. I think um, podcasting and, you know, working as a team with your friends um, to kind of grow a brand has been very challenging at times, but very rewarding as well. Um, there are a few lessons that I have personally learned about, um, you know, you know. I feel like podcasting really humbles you in a way because you have conversations with people from so many different lives and, you know, backgrounds and they kind of come with their vulnerability. And you're just like, wow, that's really inspiring. Um, so yeah, we're back and that is amazing. I mean, um, just to kind of talk on how I've been, I've been fairly good I really can't complain I've been telling Chope that I've been um very emotional lately (laughs) like very very emotional crying a lot um and like reading a lot of great literature um and really just been in a bubble to be honest which as a lot of listeners know I kind of really enjoy that and just been enjoying my piece so that is me um as you know guys we don't have Nick on the podcast this season so we'll leave a space for you this season just to reflect. So feel free to take a moment and just let us know. You can do this either via our Twitter account, D-A-T-S-P-O-D, or just check in with yourselves to see how you're doing. Like, have you had something to eat today? Have you had something to drink? Like, how are you? How are you really? Um, like, just feel free to join that conversation. No pressure whatsoever, but just check in when you can. Um, we'll go straight into the music section. So Shope, do your thing, man. Yeah, so we're going to get into the listens. This feels kind of strange to be doing this again, just telling people what I've been listening to and why. And I have um, quite a few this week. I have quite a few. I don't know where I'm going to start, but um, I'm going to start with my um, my auntie in my head, my cultural auntie, Sade, um, my fellow Nigerian, my British Nigerian queen. Um, <clears throat> so last week... Um, I went to my friend's house, um, a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in like six months. We, so we were just talking, catching up and vibing. And he, um, he's a massive music head. 
and he has uh, a growing vinyl collection just like I do. And he has Sade's first album, Diamond Life. So we were playing that, and then a friend of mine came over a few days later, and I and I have Sade's second album, Promise, on vinyl. So we were playing that too. And I noticed over those two listing sessions that one just really reaffirmed how much I just love Sade. And it's like, I just think, I'm saying they, because they are a band. People, I think we forget that. They're a band. Yes, they are fronted and led by Sade Adu, the lead singer, but they are a band. Um, and I just like, I just really just like, I just, I'm so grateful that they exist and so grateful for the bodies of work that they've given us. But I find myself noticing, and I've always think it's a sign of a good album, how, or albums, how, you can know an album for years, but you can have new favorites or really appreciate songs that you may not appreciate it as much as time goes on. And that happened in the case for both of these albums. So on the first album, Diamond Life, for the, for many, many years, my favorite songs have been Cherry Pie and Hang On To Your Love, um, I Will Be Your Friend, Your Love Is King, of course. But then the last song on the album is called Why Can't We Live Together? And it's um, such an incredible um really kind of somber dark song that kind of uh how can i put it kind of indirectly speaks about i guess um uh racism and class and just basically multicultural communities and i was thinking about this in the context this is obviously 1984 they're a british group and i'm just really thinking this is definitely like you know in the years leading past from like the era of political blackness and all that stuff, which I have my own issues with, of course. But it was just an interesting, interesting um, notion for me. And yeah, I was like, I've always known the song, always known the song, but I don't know why, like really in the last couple of weeks, but definitely when I was hearing it on vinyl, which is the best way to hear music, um, by the way. So if anyone out there knows me and loves me, you can get me a vinyl for Christmas, my birthday, just saying thank you very much. Um... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's that song. And then on the on the second album, Promise, I've always loved the album. There's so many songs I've loved, but the last two songs have really just been like, why do I not really just love them like I do now? Like, so Maureen, the last song, it's just such a, a funky, jubilant, just really, it's just a, such an earworm. And it's just really, I just really like the vibe and it kind of has like a, like I just really love the keyboard, the keyboards on that song, but it kind of has like a bit of a of a Latin jazz bossa nova kind of feel, which is kind of always permeated throughout her entire catalog. But I did well their catalog. I have to make that clear. Sean is a band, people. Um, um, so yeah, so just really been listening to a lot of Sade's first two albums um, these past this past week, and I was just saying that I feel like it's perfect mute music, especially as we're in the autumn winter moments of um, of the year so yeah highly recommend the first two albums uh, did you say perfect nude mood mood oh okay my bad, my bad. wow where's your header no i <laughs> legit uh, sorry wow perfect season no, i know no. it's here but shit behave yourself behave wow. yourself continue what you're Hallelujah. um anyway <laughs> next up uh we're gonna continue in uncle terrain because it's me that's what you guys know me for um shaka khan so she has an album called What You Gonna Do For Me, and I believe it's from 1981, but let me just confirm that. Yes, it is, 1981, so 42, 40 years ago. Yes, and 
I've been listening to a lot of some, obviously we know her as the queen of funk, but she's also, throughout her career, been very vocal as an artist about her love for jazz music and her roots in jazz. And there's two songs on here, um, which have really just been on my mind this last week. So that's called Night Moods and also, um, and the melody still lingers on, which is partially a cover of Dizzy Gillespie's Nights in Tunisia. I think we just check that actually. One second, I believe it is, but let me just check, you know, some people don't do their research. Yes, it is. This is going to be not in Tunisia. And what I've always loved about um, Shaka Khan is I love her interpretation of song. I love the way she um, arranges her vocals. And then just really like how really like her voice, especially in those upper reaches of her belting register, really do are similar to horns they really are similar to a saxophone or a trumpet and i just love how she really follows the band lead and follows the musicians that she's working with and i just think that the way she uses her voice as an instrument in the wider uh terrain of whatever song she's singing has always been fascinating to me but especially when she's getting in her jazz bag and then she also has another song called bebop melody from which album was that on that was from the Shaka Khan album in 1982 and that's just basically a medley of jazz songs, but it's kind of got like a bit of like an 80s disco kind of arrangement, but they're jazz standards. So it's a nice, um, what's the word, juxtaposition. So yeah, that's Shaka Khan. And then next up, we're going to go to the Sugar Babes. So I feel like some people would be like um, um, looking weirdly at me right now and thinking what the hell is he talking about. But you guys need to know the original lineup, the very first lineup. Um, they were they were a completely different group to what the group <laughs> eventually became. <laughs> <laughs> Not like no, that's no shade to their later stuff because I know you know we all grew up on their big hits and stuff like that. But like the first lineup, the first album, One Touch, um, is very different to the rest of their catalogue. And it's um, it kind of ways it's kind of sad because it kind of makes me wonder what they could have been if that lineup had stayed together. But mm. and actually, there was actually someone so Laura Snips is actually a very good piece about their first album for Pitchfork because the, basically the album turned twenty last year, Boy. and this year they re-released it on vinyl with a bunch of new remixes and demos. And I've been listening to it bad these last couple of months. And I'm just I'm just like so enamored and in awe of how precocious these girls were they were like 15 years old and like one being so talented but i was thinking these girls were writing their songs but also just musically just so mature like it's like got bits of um r&b garage indie new wave scar and i was thinking like these girls were 15 it's just like and, and in some ways even the way they looked back then i feel like the original lineup of the group was ahead of their time because that first album at the time of its release didn't do well. Mm. Um, none of the singles, aside from the first single, Overload, none of the singles really did well. Then, of course, the, the, one of the members, Siobhan, left the group. Then she was replaced by Heidi, and that's when they became the massive girl group that they eventually became. Mm-hmm. But over years, retrospective recognition towards that first album and that lineup has really grown, and people have realized that, like I said, that group, that line, that version of the group was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. But also, that album was just monumental. It's not. I'm not going to say it's the best thing I've ever heard in my life because there are some songs on there which are a bit no. But just remember, they were 15 years old. They was they were they were children. But 
I can't just help but wonder. And that's what the article was saying that it really is. Obviously, yes, they will go down as one of the greatest girl groups, but there's always going to be that question of what that original group could have been or that original iteration of the group could have been if mm. they were. Because I, I later I found out through the article that there was a lot of um, infighting, but also a lot of it was brought on by management and label. And there was a lot of controversy in regards to them being a multi-ethnic group and how you do sell them, you know, a black girl, an Asian girl, a white girl, which I didn't really think of back then because, but then of course it's 2000s, of course, of course that was happening. Yeah. And it was Britain. This is an era where it was the Spice Girls and Atomic Kitten. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of course it made sense. Um, so I've been listening to that album a lot recently and I just want to shout out a song on there. Well, two songs actually. Um, a song there called Lush Life, which has kind of got like this bassy trip hop, but kind of hip hop kind of vibe. So for like any of my fans of like Portishead out there, but it's kind of got a bit of like a, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a boom back 90s, I don't know, like far side kind of vibe, um, Zulu Nation kind of vibes. So that's a song that I've been really listening to, but also, so the, there's a song on there called Run For Cover, which was the second single back in the day, I believe. And then M&EK did a remix of it, um, and it's phenomenal. And it's actually kind of weird to say that I kind of probably listened to it more than the original now, which is strange because I've always loved the original. But M&EK really did the damn thing, really t- giving it a, a nice... Um, I don't really know how it's like this real kind of electronic, but kind of alternative R&B kind of spin on it. It's dope, guys. Check it out. Um, what will I do next? I think I'm just going to do because obviously, we're, you know, Eden has got to, to share his wonderful recommendations <laughs> with us, and yeah. I'm getting too much into it. But I hope you guys have missed this. I hope you guys have enjoyed. Well, we've been away for a long time. There's been a lot of releases. Yeah, so. um, but um, I'm going to get into two, um, two new things. So I was I had another one in mind. But I leave that out. Um, so I'm going to get into my two last ones. So Jack James. So I don't think I've said it on the show, but he is hands down one of my favorite UK artists at the moment. He is so talented. He's so fresh. Everything is a win. Every single, every project has been a win. And his Joyride EP, which came out at the beginning of this year, is hands down one of my favorite projects this year. Um, I think he's just so talented and just, he really is, in my opinion, one of the best um R&B artists we have in the country right now. And I've even loved his features. Like, he has an incredible song with Venna um, called Sun, Moon and Herbs. Check that out. But the song I'm referring to <coughs> this week is his latest single called Love in the Club. And I really love it. It kind of has, like, this futuristic kind of 80s soul kind of vibe. But you can kind of really vibe to it. It kind of reminds me a bit of, like, Lucky Day. But it also kind of reminds me of, like, um, Sex Therapy era Robin Thicke. Um, yeah, Jack James, Love in the Club, really got much to say about it. It's a tune, it's a banger, and if you don't know him in general, check him out, and that's J-V-C-K James. Um, yeah, man, he's one of the best people in the country right now. And last but not least, you've got Sherelle. As you all know, maybe you don't know, I think Eden and Nick definitely know that over the years, but definitely in the last year or so, I've definitely been getting into my instance. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I've really taken a massive love in really just discovering the wealth of black electronic artists that exist um, in the current scene, but also historically too, but I definitely feel there's more visibility being given to the black and queer electronic artists that are starting to thrive right now. And Sherelle has become a new fave of mine. So um, 
She's a black queer woman from London. She's a DJ, producer, and she's also got her own record label called Beautiful, which is basically all about um, highlighting DJs and producers who are all black, queer, non-binary women. And I love that. I love that. And they recently released an EP, a compilation project called Beautiful. Highly recommend it. It's fucking dope. But she also released her own new single recently called Jungle Techna, or Techno, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But um, and it's exactly what it says on the tin. So it's just like this random um, kinetic mix of jungle, but dancehall, but it's kind of housey. And it's just dope. It's just dope. It's just dope. And I love that as I'm getting into electronic music more, I'm finding it through black people because despite contrary belief, electronic music, the birth of house music, it's us. We created it. And that's kind of her MO. Aside from the music she's making, but what's the label? Like I read a lot of her interviews. She really wants to remind people of the roots of, of electronic music. So, yeah, Sherelle, Jungle Techna. And if you want to, please check out her label compilation called Beautiful. If you want to get, um, if you want to just see new black queer non-binary talent in the electronic space, like Neo Archives um, and loads of other incredible, incredible talented DJs and producers. And yeah, man, that is me. That is my inaugural lessons for this season. Hallelujah. Enjoy. Eden McKenzie got out. All right. So, all right. So we're going to pause for a second because I don't ever want to hear you say ever again that you don't describe music well. I don't ever want to hear that come out of your mouth ever again because you gave us education. You gave, you gave us vibes. You gave us genres, history. I don't ever want to hear you say that again because I've learned so much from you just speaking. So, yeah, man. Thanks for the listens. Great listens. Um, and I hope that our listeners kind of enjoy what they find from that as well. Um, cool. Over to me. So I had to kind of go over what I've been listening to in the break more so than this week, um, because I've been on a bit of a journey when it's come to music and Chopin knows about some of the artists I'm going to speak about, or at least one of them, um, and how this art in particular has impacted my life, kind of my beliefs and kind of, um, you know, really admiring someone from across the pond um, who's no longer with us. So, and I from that shopping kind of guess who I'm going to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, first and foremost, I'm going to start with an artist who I haven't listened to that much, but whenever I've come across his music, it's always kind of been very inspiring, very kind of loving. And it makes me really just think of, um, you know, the future quite a lot in a very romantic type of way. So... The first artist I'm going to talk about is Francis and the Lights. So Francis and the Lights, he is, and it's just him, by the way, but it's just him by himself, by the way. He's Francis and the Lights, um, similar to, um, is it Maria and the Diamonds? Yeah, it's Marina and the Diamonds. Yeah, Marina and the Diamonds, my apologies. Um, So Francis and the Lights has a song called um, Can We Have This Dance? And I love that song, features Chance the Rapper, and it's very kind of wedding (laughs) <laughs> sorry he's good on it he is good on it <laughs> no it's all right it's all right Chance Rapper 2021 which is just it's just an interesting thing to hear <laughs> but yeah it's a very kind of wedding type of song like and that's why I said it kind of when I listen to his music it's like a romantic type of element to it and that's not to say he's like this crooner because he's not it's more so that his music just has a certain type of vibe to it that sonically just really makes you feel good um, and I've kind of been looking into him a bit more and kind of his history and who he is and all of these different types of things. But the album I'm going to talk about is called Farewell Starlight, which came out in 2016. 
Um, some interesting facts about France in the Lights is he's produced for Kanye West, Drake, Bon Iver, um, who else is there? Frank Ocean and quite a few different artists. So in terms of um, like artistry, he's definitely in so many different pockets behind the scenes. But his music up front is really good as well. It's very kind of synth based and has a very pop feel to it as well. But there is an element of feeling that I personally don't get from the pop music I hear on the radio that I do get from his. And it's it's mainly due to the effects that he has with his his music. It's very Coldplay and um, uh, Chris Martin-esque. By the way, I got tickets to Coldplay. We're going to talk about that at another point when I'm there. You know, I've been on a journey trying to get to see Coldplay for the longest time, but I got tickets. They're expensive as hell, but I got them. Anyway, um, so France and the Lights. Um, he reminds me of Phil Collins, if Phil Collins really kind of dove deeper into like synth and kind of um like more 808s and stuff like that which i know sounds ridiculous but when you listen to him you'll hear chris martin and a bit of um the front man from maroon 5 adam um what's his name again adam levine. adam adam levine that's it yeah so like a combination of both their voices that gooeyness that that texture to their vocals um it's very plain he doesn't do any kind of like vocalist acrobats with it but um, I just love the combination of the music of his voice and the synth and the, you know, the background music and everything. So I would really recommend listening to France in the Lights um, if you kind of want like a, a somber kind of feel, like a loving um, kind of feel. Like one of the songs on here is called See Her Out and it's and in brackets called That's Just Life. It's about a breakup, essentially. And he's got another song called Friends, which is about, you know, when you break up and you want to stay friends and all these different types of things, something we can all kind of relate to, hopefully. And, um, you know, it's he's a really great artist. I'd really recommend his music to people. I know I'm kind of seen on this podcast as the guy that listens to things that are outside of, you know, hip hop or R&B and all these different types of things. I love loads of like alternative types of music, like, you know, indie. I'll talk about my Paramore days that we all shared. Like, you yes. know, if you're black and from London, everyone had Paramore and Lost Profits and, you know, any band that was on Guitar Hero, we all kind of listened to Fall Out Boy, Kings of Leon, Kings of Leon exactly. Um, but I've kind of, you know, stayed with that in a lot of the music that I listen to and shout out Sherelle, great, great person who listens to this podcast. And, you know, she's always, whenever I put stories up on Instagram with these songs, she's like, yes, loving the white people music. And I'm just like, you know what? I hear it. I absolutely hear it. Cause I do talk about them a lot, but France and the Lights, listen to that album. Um, the album is called Farewell Starlight, is what it's called. Um, so check that out. Next, we're going to move on to the late, great Nipsey Hussle. Okay, so I'm going to make this as short as I can. But in the whole lockdown experience and kind of being away from this podcast, I've really dug deeper into Nipsey Hussle's history, who he was as a man, kind of what he stood for, what he's done for Slauson and Crenshaw and kind of just his philosophy, like listening to interviews and kind of conversations that he's had. And I want to say I understand that there is some kind of controversy around him as a person because of some of the comments he made towards the LGBTQIA community and that's something that we definitely do take into consideration um, when, you know, listening to artists and engaging with them, um, but also acknowledging their full humanity. Like he was a flawed person. He's not this messiah that a lot of people kind of, you know, make him out to be. He was a person with views that we might not agree with 
and are hurtful to certain communities that's something we do take into consideration but listening to a lot of nipsey hustles and music has been really good for me in my own personal journey um you know i've spoken about my own kind of mental health battles on this podcast before i've spoken about being suicidal i've spoken about kind of um being on antidepressants and all of these different types of things and during that whole process as i was working through that um nipsey hustles music was really there for me and there was there are just certain lyrics like um there's one lyric he says where um honestly i'm honored just to represent the progress you know obviously that doesn't sound great in my like london british accent but when he says it it sounds very you know i'm honored to be here speaking to you right now about this journey the marathon this brand that i've built to really help people understand that life is about you know continuing on it's not stopping at certain junctures and so I've really connected to him as a person and also his philosophy when it comes to, you know, do you want to be at war with yourself and at peace with the world or, you know, at peace with yourself and at war of the world? And I think most of us hopefully would want to be at peace with ourselves. So I've really just been sitting with his music and the album I'm bringing today is my favorite out of all the ones that I've listened to, which is Slauson Boy 2 which is actually a mixtape sorry not an album um but on that album it's there's loads of um young thug um features on there but just loads of quotables on there loads of different songs on there on um one of the songs i'm trying to remember what it stands for i think it's called i do this off the top of my head um but there's a little kind of speech at the beginning where nipsey's basically saying that the best teacher is your own experience and he goes off and talks about um, who do you want to be? Like, do you want to be the people that people define you as, or do you want to be your own person? And at the time, that really spoke to me because I'm very, I was, or I, I feel like I, I'm still working through being the person that's not molded by opinions, not molded by what other people think of me. And I, I think we can all, to a certain extent, connect to that because I know I'm not alone in that. Um, so Slawson Boy is a great project for me. It's the most um i would say album-esque out of all of his his mixtapes that's including the marathon and um you know um, tmc and all of these different types of things but he has a great catalog listen to some of his unreleased work as well he has a song um called smoking with my stylist and i didn't i kept humming the melody and i was like i know this song i know this sample from somewhere and it's actually etta bon and wretch 3-2 so he sampled um forgiveness um, but just the Etabon part and pitched it slightly higher. And I was like, oh, okay, now I know where this comes from. But listen to Smoke With My Stylist because that's my favorite Nipsey Hussle song so far. 4am in the morning as well is one of my favorite as well. But I've really personally been on this journey listening to his music and really appreciating his artistry. Um, he wasn't just a one hit wonder with the Victory Lap album. He had hits, he had a history. Um, and there were a few interviews where it talks about you know his journey of being this kid who wanted to kind of make it had a connection to ethiopia sorry eritrea my apologies because i know there's controversy between those two countries um but his connections to eritrea and um you know kind of how that made him into a man and that made me look at myself as a man and be like you know what i need to have a better connection with jamaica and barbados and kind of my history and where i come from where my family come from all these different types of things so i really really suggest you listen to nipsey hustle if you enjoy his music if you don't want to because of you know the controversy and things you've said in the past completely understand that there's no judgment whatsoever um but he is an amazing artist and i just wanted to kind of speak about that and i will go into other albums 
um, as the season continues because there are so many songs that have impacted me um, and yeah there's just so much man he's so much more than just like a braggadocio rapper he is so much more than that. There's so much game that he puts you onto when it comes to the music industry, his his beat selection, um, his cadence, his flow, the way he's slightly outside of beats all the time when he raps, um, but it just seems to work for some reason. Not all the time, but you know, on a lot of his songs, he is he's outside of the beat. Um, but yeah, Nipsey Hussle, Slawson Boy 2, I would say that. Next one is an album that I feel like will make Chope jump up. Um, I listened to Black on Both Sides by Most Death. I know that's right. You better get into it. <laughs> I've been enjoying that. That and and I know, guys, we are aware Most Death is problematic. We are aware. We are. We are aware. But Black on Both Sides is one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. Yeah, words cannot Incredible. be put. How much I love that album and nick too our dear nicholas that's also an album that is pivotal to his love of hip-hop music so we're now glad that eden mckenzie goddard is now in the fold of loving that album but yes i'll let you continue now no i was gonna say shout out to my friend david because he was always like a massive most deaf fan and i didn't really understand why growing up and then you know i came back to this album i really just really appreciated the vibes to it i remember um i was just sitting down um just doing some creative stuff on the side, which I'll talk about at some point. But I was just kind of sitting there and just wanted something to really inspire me. And I listened to Black on Both Sides and it was just like, wow. Like the, there's just so much, like the, the use of samples, um, the use of the production. There's one song on here, um, Do It Now featuring Buster Rhymes. And I'm just like, the, the production is genius because there's a switch when Buster jumps on the beat. And you can hear that like there's this kind of I don't even know how to describe there's this sound that's not there when um, Most Def is rapping, aka Yazin Bay. Um, but there's this sound that appears when Buster's rap- rapping. And just like in terms of production, that's genius. Like just the way you've been able to di- distinctly say, okay, this is Buster's time now. This is versus a this is Most Def's time now. It's like a respect thing. It's like you know when um when when Hove whenever um jay-z jumps on a drake beat the beat seems to switch up or um who else does it there's quite a few artists where there's a switch when there's like this artist coming in and you can tell it's a respect thing like the producer like okay cool now it's time for the main event to come in which is a bit disrespectful to the like main artist in a way but it's a respect thing as well um but in terms of songs to listen to there are loads like i've got so many saved songs on this um i love love i love miss fat booty obviously that's the one that everyone probably knows um, I love rock and roll. I love Brooklyn. I love Mr. N Word with Q Tip. I love um, Speed Law. Umi says like there's just so many songs. Climb. There's so many songs on here that just slap. And honestly, I'd really recommend it to everyone. If you're kind of new to hip hop, which I imagine would be fairly, you know, unlikely if you listen to this podcast. No judgment, but I just know from the stats who listens to what from Spotify. Um, but listen to Black on Both Sides and let us know what you think of it at D-A-T-S-P-O-D. And then very, very, very last. This is a single. It's not an album. It's by an artist called Leon. I hope I've pronounced her name correctly. She's a Swedish artist and um, she's amazing. Like I've been listening to some of her songs, but the one that stood out for me the most was a song called Dancer. And I don't know if you guys have seen the meme of the little kid dancing in a disco with the sunglasses on and he's just vibing 
and he's just like swinging his arms and stuff like that that is what this song is it's like someone in the club in their own like a silent disco type of experience just in their own kind of bubble and that's how i feel when i listen to this song it's very euphoric it's very um it's like you can reach out and touch the vibrations in the air when you hear it as well and um it's very bright it's like whenever you listen to this room suddenly feels slightly brighter it looks brighter um so i would recommend listening to leon dancer I apologize if I got her name incorrect. I'll have to listen to interviews to see how it's actually said. Um, but some background for her. She's a Swedish singer. Um, she comes from a musical family. Her mother was a cellist and her father was a composer. And her main inspiration, she said, are like Amy Winehouse, um, Janis Joplin, Janis, yeah, Janis Joplin, Beyonce, Etta James, Sam Cooke, and um, I think it said Stevie Wonder. I have to double check. But she has loads of inspirations that kind of denote where some of this soul in her albums come from this song in particular is a pop song you won't hear a lot of soul in it um but i really enjoy it and i think you guys will enjoy it too so those are my listens for today guys so you've got francis and the lights farewell farewell starlight you've got slawson boy 2 nipsey hustle you got black on both sides by most deaf and leon dancer cool that is everything from me Right, so we are now going to get into the news agenda, and as our news in-house newsreader is not here, um, Eden and I will be taking it in turns. So, the first topic mm -hmm. is um, light and easy, and some good news which we need in this horrendous world. Um, Missy Elliott, earlier this week, she was an, uh, an awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for her contributions to music and just being a visionary uh, woman, artist, musician, collaborator for the last nearly 30 years and in attendance with her were the likes of Sierra, Lizzo and her manager, Mona Scott Young, who most of us know more nowadays for being the woman behind Love and Hip Hop. Um, and yeah, that's it for Eden McKenzie. What are your thoughts on that? I just think that Missy Elliott is someone who deserves everything that she gets in terms of like props, in terms of support, in terms of love, in terms of a mention. Like she's someone who stepped into an arena that really didn't want to accept her at the time for, you know, everything she stood for. She was a black woman. She wasn't kind of slim. Um, she didn't go for the whole sex. Well, she did actually go for the sex appeal. Well, right? she actually. did, but yeah, that was also did. part of the problem. She was yeah. quote unquote undesirable, but she's like, nope, you're still going to get this sex stuff. I mean, yeah. I'm a sexual being too. Yeah. And I think that, you know, she deserves every single piece of respect that she gets. She, if she, if she wanted to go on versus, there aren't that many people that could stand up tall against her, if we're being completely honest. And I actually wanted to bring up in when I saw this in the in the topics for today. Um, I listened to the what's the podcast called again? Drink Champs. So I listened to the Drink Champs interview with Kanye West or Ye, sorry, um, is what he goes by now. And I was just really interested because they asked the question of would you ever do a versus? And, you know, Kanye being Kanye was like, yeah, but I would need four people to go up against me at once hilarious and just like there aren't that many people there aren't that many people with a catalog that that challenges mine like because they asked him like who do you think you could go up against or who do you think people want you to go up against and the answer was kind of like you know drake which i just don't really understand to be honest um and also um jay-z and then they asked him like what about a producer 
And he was just kind of like, he didn't really have an answer. But I was thinking to myself, you know, Missy, I actually genuinely think would have him up against the ropes. Like, I genuinely think if Missy stepped in the ring with Kanye West, it would be a very, very interesting versus. I think she would bring out things that people don't even know she had a hand in. Like, all of the Jasmine Sullivan songs that she helped co-produce and, you know, um, or produce, actually. I think she produced most of the songs, didn't she? Um, but all of the R&B that she's done, all of the hip-hop, you know, Aaliyah. Produced uh, most of which songs? Pardon me? Say that again? I said, which songs did you say she produced most of? I didn't hear um, Jasmine's other. Oh, yeah, she's done. Yeah, she produced quite a lot of um, Jasmine's. Work. Not all of it, but a lot. As you were saying. Yeah. No, but if we look at who she's produced for, you know, she's worked with Aaliyah, produced with Aaliyah, with Timberland, all of these different people that, you know. Right. Genuine, SWV, Tweet, yeah. Soul, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Destiny's yeah. Child, Tamia, yeah. uh, Marriage Oblige, also. Yeah. You know, I know I love my gospel. Um, Karen Clark Sheard, like there's so Maya, Sierra, of course, Sierra, Christina Aguilera, Fantasia, Monica, there's like so much. Even, even, I mean, not that we care, but like, no, but it just kind of shows her, her influence because she's been able to influence across the eras and it's all kind of, you know, worked. That's the thing. Not everyone can really do that. So the only other person who really kind of, has been that consistent other than you know timberland and um, you've got scott starch and some some conversations um you know missy elliott is someone that i'd feel like isn't really held up in those high regards when it comes to production or even music in general i think she could take on kanye if i'm being completely honest um but in terms of her success and all of the things that she's being you know um celebrated for absolutely she deserves it absolutely and there's no question to that whatsoever um i grew up personally i know it's very similar to shopping and nick we grew up listening to um, missy elliott watching her on mtv bass um you know seeing all of the music videos and being like this is completely different even as a kid you knew it was something completely different to what you normally see on um everyday music channels and stuff like that you actually watched missy elliott music videos like what's she gonna do next and all of these different types of things so absolutely and it's and unfortunately i think it's another situation where when someone passes people will be like actually you know what this person was really influential um and this person really made a difference to people's lives so i'm glad she's getting her flowers while she's still alive um i just really think we need to scream about missy elliott a lot more but that's all i have to say yeah i i don't really have to add on that either um and i do think that um, honors like this, I know that we are very big on discussing the relevance of awards, but I do think honors like this are very monumental. And I feel like these mean much more. Hmm. I feel like these kind of things mean more because it's like, when you really think about that, like, this really is like, you know, a physical, tangible level of achievement and praise because now, decades from now, people are going to walk past the Hollywood Walk of Fame and they're going to see that name, Miss Elliot, and they're going to be like, okay, let me Google this woman. Who is she? Why is she here? And they're forever going to find out because they're going to see that more than her knowing she has five Grammys or however many number one. So they're going to, that's going to be arguably more impactful. But no, likewise, I feel the same. This is someone I grew up on. She's one of the reasons that I love music because being a young child in primary school, her videos, her albums, but also what she was producing for some people, especially as me being the R&B head of the three of us. Like, she's produced and written some of my favourite songs. Some of my favourite songs. Not just the hits, you know me, I'm also the king of the deep cut. Some of my favourite deep cuts. Mm. 
she has written <laughs> and produced for some of my favorite artists. Like that's why I had to mention like Fantasia because people like people like her. Like have a lot. Missy has she obviously has the the big mainstream pop hits. I know she's also given back to those R and B girls, those R and B guys who haven't as much mainstream success. But like no, she's given them bangs and heat too. And then you know she's very instrumental in get, in bringing Jasmine Sullivan mm. to the industry and all that. And of course, I can not forget her time with Aaliyah and Genuine and the Basement Crew back in the early 90s and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm very happy to see her as she just continues to be getting her flowers. Like, I know recently she got the MTV Vanguard Award some years ago. So happy to see that. I'm happy to see that Lizzo and Sierra were there with her and I know that Janelle Monet and Ella Cordia was at her after party showing her love and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, she just deserves it. So mm-hmm. shout out to her. And yeah, right. we're going to move on to the next topic. And this came mm-hmm. in late last night. And yeah, you know, it's been a very, um, it's been a very difficult time for this woman. And it's been a very um, high intense news story, I'd say, over the last year, over the last two years. But uh, yesterday, it was revealed that um, Britney Spears is officially free. Her conservatorship has officially been terminated. And as we all know, for the last 13 years, she's been unable mm. to make any financial, personal, professional health decisions. And she has now been given those rights back for the first time in 13 years. So naturally, her fans across the world have been ecstatic and overzealous and happy. And yeah, it's an incredible, incredible time and kind of surreal. Um, so I do have a particular angle that I wanted to bring on this topic, but I want Eden to share his thoughts on the initial news first. Um, so I think when it comes to this story, it's kind of just like, you know, when you've been waiting for something so for so long, and then when it finally happens, it's, you have to get round to believing that it's happened. And I think following the story it's been really interesting to understand so many different people's opinions and thoughts when it's come to conservative conservatorships um and it's come to understanding what it means to be completely free so i think this is an interesting example of what happens when you become famous as a woman because it's not just britney houston britney houston where was i going britney spears i don't know where britney houston came from I don't, it's not just Britney Spears um, who's spoken about, you know, not knowing how to use credit cards or not being able to use credit cards or any of these different types of things. I know Janet Jackson has spoken about that before. I don't think it's in the same kind of vein at the same time, but it's just interesting to kind of see the other side. Um, obviously, with Shop A, Nick and I not being in that world of understanding um, you know, celebrity life and all of the things that they go through individually being in the public domain and public eyes constantly. Um, all we can really do is is empathize with the situation and have compassion for the fact that um, Britney Spears was going through hell just trying to exist because at a certain point she became a brand instead of a person. And, you know, that is something that we've spoken about before when it's come to some of these posthumous kind of albums and um, virtual hologram tours and all of these different types of things, when an artist dies, how much of their humanity is actually remembered? And 
included in when they're alive as well like we kind of celebrate the fact that an artist looks great or you know um i want to shout out tiana um from this tiana the producer i want to shout out because i remember we had a conversation and she was actually right in what she was saying i was wrong um she said when adele appeared on the this was when like she disappeared for a bit and she came back and she lost all of this weight and everyone was kind of just like oh she looks great she looks amazing all of these different types of things but I remember Tiana just being like, okay, but is she okay? Like we always celebrate when we see people losing weight or kind of, you know, being seen as um, as socially acceptable, whether it's losing weight or, um, you know, changing your diet or any of these different types of things. It's seen as socially acceptable. But what about the underlayers of like the human who exists under that skin? Um, and I think that's exactly the same for this whole Britney situation. It's kind of just like looking at the fact that this is a human being, like forget the fact she's Britney Spears and she was this child star that grew up and became, you know, someone that will always be remembered in pop music history for her career. We have to remember that this is a human being at the end of the day. Um, so it just feels amazing to hear that she has seen the other side of what's going on at the moment. I hope that she is you know, genuinely happy and working towards um, figuring out how she wants to live her life in future now that she has that opportunity to be in more control of A, her finances, but B, her general life as well. Um, and I hope that she's surrounded by good people. I hope she's continuously surrounded by people who love her because she's commented on the fact that she's been surrounded by um, people that she doesn't really trust. Vultures. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it also brings in an interesting conversation about mental health. Um, because there are certain layers of mental health I feel like we don't talk about like depression isn't the only form of mental health um, that is out there at the moment there are certain disorders that exist that make life very hard for a lot of people uh, actually hard they live with it they live with it in their own in their own way um, and when we go to neurodiversity because you know Britney Spears has spoken about some of her breakdowns and you know her mental health in the past and there have been some allusions to mental health and stuff um, there has to be a bit more of a, um, a magnifying glass on how it affects people's everyday life and, you know, the people around them, but also, um, you know, everyday life for them, um, which I think will be a very interesting conversation because there are some artists like Amy Winehouse, for example, who, you know, went through a lot and um, their mental health struggled, but I don't think it was really respected by the media. And I think this situation with Britney Spears is going to mean so much for women who are in the pop sphere women who kind of are in similar situations because i can't imagine she's the only one we have like a whole industry where people are kind of bred to be pop stars nowadays and it's very similar i don't know the kind of k-pop arena or anything like that but you do have people who kind of are basically molded to become pop stars and i kind of question what that's like for them as individuals um because it might be I imagine, because I won't know for sure, but I imagine it might be quite stifling and quite um, imprisoning, um, if that's the right word, but it might feel quite um, like you're under control. So yeah, all of that is to say, extremely happy to hear about Britney Spears and everything that's happened at the moment. And I duly, genuinely really hope that she has good people surrounding her in the future as, as she goes along and you know decides what she wants to do with her career and her life. Um, so that's me. Yeah. Um, so I also just want to state that I was very, 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 very happy to see this news because I do think for many years, and it kind of leads into this particular conversation that I want to have, that 
I knew she was under a conservatorship. Um, I remember, I didn't, I, obviously I was like 13 at the time when it started and everything like that, but I didn't really know. And I think a lot of us didn't really know how abusive and how manipulative they can grow to be, not just her conservatorship, but conservatorships in general. And then obviously as more information was starting to come to light in the last few years, but I think the most harrowing one was that uh, she was forced to be given um, an IUD to prevent her from getting pregnant. She's not allowed to drive her own car, use her own credit cards. And then the, they have impact on, her, on when she can see her kids or when she's on how she behaves around her kids. And just so many other ways that beyond just the financial, her being rich and famous, but also just like just her demoralizing as a human being, as a woman. And they were really, in many ways, not controlling just her mental uh, state but also like her physical body like like the fact that she was told that she wouldn't be able to have a baby if she wanted to or get married if she wanted to is like as if she's a child this is a grown woman who's been working since she was like what 15 years old and to see all that come into the fore of these last few years and you just didn't really know because and also I do think it really shows how uh, our perception of mental health and also the perception of celebrity has changed and the idea of celebrity because I definitely can think that all of us when she was going through her mental issues back in 2007 that we really were not taking into account what she was going through and also how the culture that we feed and the culture that we live in contributed to that and made it worse and really in many ways almost killed her and arguably probably has she still has PTSD and long-lasting effects from that period in her life and then hearing that she's been forced to take certain drugs and you know there's always been a conversation about whether even now is she okay like you can see in her eyes she looks dead in the eyes but anyway before we get into that I want to leave all that and just to say that I'm extremely extremely happy for her you know she can just come to a place of peace and joy and stillness and whether she makes music again or tours again it doesn't matter it's like can she just be the woman she wants to be can she be the mother she wants to be and just live a life that is on her terms. Like I think a lawyer said, someone asked the lawyer what's next for her, and I thought it was such a great statement. She he said for the first time in her in her life, in, in a, what in a long time, is up to Britney, because for so many years her her fam her family her vultures her the lawyers and her family who were working with her but also kind of against her. As we all know, if you've done a reading of these last two years, basically it seems like everyone around her was garbage. But they were made by making money off her and manipulating her and taking advantage. But anyway, we are going to alert the stands. And we've just spoken about stand culture a lot of these last three years. And it's one of our big MOs. I wanted to pose this question about the idea that there are some positives to stand culture. Because I wanted to think about, the, obviously, the hashtag Free Britney movement was a grassroots movement started online by her fans. And I wanted to just think about, like, would we have, would this have happened without her fans? So, yes, there's the negatives of stand culture, which obviously are very valid. But I think it's worth saying that, you know, that the love and support of her fans and the adoration to her fans, they changed her life effectively. And not only that, they've increased uh, conversation and increased um, critique around conservatorships in general. And women's and women's rights in general, and human rights in general, and abuse and mental health and disability, and I thought it's all kind of become from come from a grassroots fan um, stimulus. So, Eden Mackenzie Goddard, what are your thoughts? On um, sorry, say that again. The last part. 
on how on how basically like how obviously this started as her fans trying to get the three and pop star free, but it's brought up different kind of conversations and critique and also to shine a light on the state of conservatorships and the idea of conservatorships in general and also looking at wider issues in regards to disabilities and mental health and um women's control of their bodies in regards to abortion and things like that and okay. reproductive so what are your thoughts on how stand culture her fans have basically yeah yeah um so i think what we can do is we can look at stand culture and say that there are benefits i think you know there's a there's a saying of you know everything has a good and a bad side like everything has an opportunity to you know be good or be be bad and i think in this situation with stand culture we can look at it and say you know it really worked the fact that we have people who are dedicated to a person or let's say cause and have rallied together to really try to change this person's life i think that is something we can have we have to congratulate and say you know well done to Britney Spears' um, stand base for being, you know, amazing and really rallying behind her. Um, there are still challenges when it comes to stand culture and, you know, giving people their freedom, their space and, um, you know, really supporting them in their com- in their complexity as well as human beings that we have to also point out. But that's, that doesn't outshine or in any uh, in any way kind of change the fact that the stands really supported her through this. I think the difficulty I will have with talking about conservatorships is um, I haven't experienced it. And, you know, like I said, depression doesn't therefore give me the right to talk about other mental health disorders and the lives that people live. Um, it, from what we've seen with Britney Spears, it was it was a bad situation. It was a situation that... Um, should have been reviewed should have been supported and um, you know people should be able to make their own decisions Um, but from what I've seen when it comes to mental health sometimes there are some people that you know are harmful to themselves and will need support I don't necessarily believe in completely taking over someone's autonomy um, when it comes to looking after someone that is something that shouldn't happen and I have friends who you know live with disorders and all of these different types of things and they've they've given me accounts of their experience whilst in like mental health um, facilities in the UK and all of these different types of things um, which actually makes me feel quite emotional just talking about it, if I'm being completely honest um, <clears throat> yeah so I understand the concern when it comes to conservatorships I understand that um the the main issues around that i think for me i would just need to go back to the intent and the intent of from my understanding just of what it is is it's a way to create support for people who are seen as um who are seen as suffering and i I just want to put seen in italics because you know um we never really know what someone's going through unless they tell us what they are going through that has to be the kind of component that is important here. We can't just say, okay, this person has this this disorder, therefore, you know, let's judge them in this type of way. That is really unfair to their individual experience. Um, so I would kind of have to look into and speak to someone who has experienced conservatorship or, you know, lives in a house where they don't have as much autonomy because of x reason or y reason i don't know enough and i'm happy to admit ignorance here 
um, and really say if anyone wants to educate me, feel free to. Um, but in this situation, we have to say that it was a situation from all of the information that we've got and, you know, Britney Spears being happy with being free at the moment, um, that it looks like it's good. Now, here's the thing. I want to be a lot more careful when talking on these topics with um, on Don't Alert the Stands just in general, because I think um, this is just me personally. I know what people want me to say. I know what people feel comfortable hearing, um, maybe from political leanings or all of these different types of things. But what I'm going to say is I don't know anything when it comes to conservatorships. I don't know anything about what it's like to be institutionalized. I don't know what it's like to live every day with a disorder um, as far as I know, because I haven't been diagnosed with anything of that sort. But what I will say is that from the information that we have when it comes to Britney Spears, it seems like it's good. And I hope that, you know, she gets the support that she needed or she ha she got the, the support that she needed and she's in a much better place now than she was before. Um, but those are my thoughts so far. Shopping? You didn't really answer the question either because it got asked. You asked what I thought about conservatorship. No, I wanted to, ask, you no, I wanted to ask about how how her fans rallied behind her and it can we now look towards maybe um, expanding the quote-unquote positives of stan culture i mean did you... oh i felt like i said i felt that's what i started with but um i think it's it's interesting because I, here's the thing stan culture in general um it's fairly hard to say it can be looked at as something that will always be used in a positive light it really depends on the artist kind of what the artist um, really stands for their music and all of these different types of things and I feel like it worked for Britney Spears because her fans are slightly older like she's been um, in the public view for a long time so a lot of people have grown up listening to Britney Spears they might be in their late 20s or 30s but then there are some artists that you know are fairly new um, and let's say like within the last 10 years so let's talk about Nicki Minaj for example oh, and like the Barbs for example like they're still fairly young so I can't really paint all stands exactly the same. They all kind of have different age groups, different political leanings, different, like Alana Del Rey fan group, like stand group. I imagine they'll be slightly more right leaning um, and um, they'll have different views to say like the Nicki Minaj stand base. Like we got to look at it as kind of like um, political stances in a lot of areas. So they won't really rally behind issues because some of them might be conservative fans. Um, and therefore they don't really want to change that many things that are going on at the moment. So it's really hard to say. Um, but I, like I, I think I said this already, but I think that the Britney Spears stand group have done amazing by her. I think that they've really supported her and um, going forward with what they plan to do with, uh, you know, supporting women in conservatorships and um, mm. really being mm. there as a kind of group for people who really want to understand mental health a bit more i think that's really important and i just kind of want to see what it's like before i really comment on it because i don't know any of these people it's very similar to um you know when black lives matter first came out and no one really knew what the people looked like i don't know any of the people behind free britney i don't know their political views i don't know what they stand for i don't know um you know anything about them whatsoever and that's not a critique of them it's to say 
I have absolutely no idea what the future of their organization or um, view is for the future, other than, you know, changing conservatorships, being a bit more of, of a support um, area and shedding light on areas when it comes to mental health and supporting women and all of these different types of things. But I want to actually see the next stage, kind of what they're offering, what they're about, what they want to do, um, because who knows what they'll be, what they will do when it comes to, you know, black women. Like we can talk about feminism, but you know, there's white feminism, and then there's um, feminism that includes all areas, including mm-hmm. you know, the transgender community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what happened? Like, this is a th- I can't comment on it because what if they don't support people who are like you know transgender and they don't consider them people that you know like I don't know their political opinions. This is true. It's way too early to say. Of course, it's way way too early. To say. Of course, but I think the reason why I brought it up is that. I think when I was just really deeping it, like last night and even early this morning, everything you said is completely true, um, especially because from I'm going by, I, saw, I don't know like whether she's the founder of me, but I saw one clip of someone from the Free Britney organization. She was a white woman being interviewed. Like, of course, we know white women, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um <laughs> But I just really did think that it was quite a beautiful notion to consider that mm-hmm. this, these vast millions of people who really don't doesn't know personally have really come together over these years and really mm-hmm. sparked an international movement and really mm-hmm. took it because we do know now that Britney was um, objecting behind closed doors and legally behind closed doors trying to obviously end the conservatorship. But obviously to no avail mm-hmm. because she was seen as legally and mentally capable of choosing her own lawyer or making her own decisions or whether she was mentally capable of even um, recognizing whether she was being abused or manipulated or not and all these things and and being forced to take part in tours and brand deals and all these kind of things and then obviously most of the course you know i saw an article um yesterday basically saying that how she's been seen more as a money-making machine rather than a baby-making one and like i think the actual phrasing mm-hmm. was that she was stripped of her right to control her most intimate physicality. And I think that's quite a harrowing thing. We really put it in yeah. those kind of words. Mm-hmm. But to see that mm-hmm. my fans really, like, really came together and organized, if we're going to use that, that term, because, like I said, I, th- I think it's quite fascinating and amazing that it started with Britney Spears, the pop star, but it really has shone a light on various other human rights issues and abuse um, issues. And I do think, so I thought that was quite, mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, there is some good in being a stan of an artist. There is oh. some good. Oh, there 100%. is some good. Yeah, that point you made was great. Yeah. Like the fact you actually noticed that, it, it makes complete sense. Because I just now wonder, like, like I said, we now, like, would this have, would we have come to this um, decision? Would this have happened to her without no. the stan culture? Because, no. like I said, she's been trying for years behind closed doors legally, but it just wasn't working. wasn't working. Mm. They were ruling in favor of her father and her handlers for many, many, many years. There's even like there's even like um, interviews over these where she's basically said out loud in public, yeah, I don't really focus conservatorship. She feels like she she can't be spontaneous or do anything. Everything's so rigid and controlled. But mm. it's only like what well, the last four years when her fans started realizing something is wrong, something is amok, and look where it led to. Mm. So I guess we can end. We can I guess we can end there. But I just wanted to make that point as we are doing alert the stamps. Yeah. No. Thank you for that. And it's definitely a new way of looking at stand culture, which I think is important. Um, 
because you know the name don't let the stands originally came as you know controversial opinions so don't come for us essentially but i think it's kind of grown a bit more to you know we're saying things that really come from three people who might have different opinions or different feelings when it comes to music so um it's not kind of a knock on stan culture as much anymore i don't think is that fair to say shoppe yeah no i think i think we're now growing into a point where we can really look at stan culture as an expense as an expansive school of thought like yeah. the good and the bad the ugly and all that's in between i think because yeah. i do think stories like this you know they add um a levity that we may not have come with three years ago yeah and a balance that we may not have come with three years ago yeah yeah there's been a lot of growth all right so what we'll do is we'll jump straight into the next topic but as always guys please feel free to join the conversation so d-a-t-s-p-o-d please use the hashtag d-a-t-s-p-o-d and you know join the conversation we'd love to hear from you hear your thoughts and as, as always we're always happy to learn so like i said i don't know anything about conservatorships so feel free to share some information if you'd like so that we can learn. As always, you know, we're not perfect human be beings. We're decolonizing, we're learning, unlearning, all of these different types of things. So, um, yeah, please feel free to share that. All right. So moving on to the topic for the week or for a while now um, that's been going on with Travis Scott. So as some of you know, Travis Scott's long awaited concert, Astro World, which is named well, there was Astro World, the theme park, but his most recent album was called Astro World as well. And unfortunately, um, during a performance, Travis Scott asked the crowd to rush the stage. And this caused 150 people to be injured and nine people to lose their lives. And, you know, there's been a lot. So you're going to have to bear with me as I kind of go through all the information. But there have been kind of cases that have been open against Travis Scott because he urged people to run towards the stage there's a lawyer that's saying he's representing 150 people in a lawsuit against Travis Scott at the moment because he asked people to rush the stage. You've got accounts by police officers who were saying that they asked for the concert to stop because people were, you know, starting to get hurt. You've got a report saying that Travis Scott has claimed guilty twice on two counts. Um, so a lot has been going on. Um, but I think what the focus is for this conversation is just really what, happened really so what happened um how it was dealt with you know it'll be interesting to hear from Shoppe's point of view as a PR and what that mm. experience would have been like if he was in that position as a as the PR for Travis Scott um but also just in general how it was handled um so Shoppe I'm going to pose that towards you um with all the information with Travis Scott and everything that's happening at the moment how does it make you feel like what yeah how do you feel about it well as a publicist as a publicist but also as yourself um well i can, I can go from two perspectives i'm gonna start with the, someone who loves live music and has been to many a festival um so when i first saw that this story and i sort of broke broke out i just thought about it i just was like i was like physically shaken and scared and i kind of as like i said i've been to many a festival um and I just thought about what that would have been like for those, not only who ended up dying, but also those who survived and the PTSD that they had. Because imagine being in a crowd and you're being trampled on, you're trying to leave and you physically can't get yourself out of there. And like, I can't imagine like they're probably hyperventilating. I just can't imagine how mentally scary that would have been. Mm -hmm. I, I just can't, like I actually was reading an article of someone 
So apparently, like, when it was at its peak, Travis Scott was performing Butterfly Effect, and he was saying he can no longer hear that song because he now reminds him of being mm. struggling to get out of the crowd, but also as he was struggling to get out of the crowd, he was seeing people convulsing and passing out and seeing paramedics um, come and take people away. So now, like, a song that he's loved for so many years, he can now look at it the same. So as someone who's a f- who loves music festivals and loves live music, it's just, it's quite very... it's. I don't even know. It's, just, it's kind of like very, very, very demoralizing to think about because it's like festivals are, and I do think festivals in general need to be better with controlling crowds and surges and also just kind of knowing how to make them not so overpacked. And I know you can't really control these things, but there needs to be some sort of measures in place because I've been reading that apparently that the staff who were hired weren't properly trained and apparently one person in particular was hired over the phone with no proper interview and they were being p- paid via cash app. So like even some of the staffing, there's some discrepancies in regards to that. So that's where I'm going to start with. But then also as a publicist, I'm sorry I have to stay here, that, that poor woman or man, that poor woman or man who's doing PR for Travis Scott right now, I know that they are working across the clock 24-7 at the moment and will be for many months to come because they're so much to, there's just so much coming at Travis Scott coming at his family coming at his music coming at the festival coming at Live Nation I just cannot imagine doing PR for Travis Scott right now especially and also like aside from the the workloads that this person may have now um he she or they whoever they are but also knowing that they may have their own opinions about <clears throat> what happened with Travis Scott, but they're going to have to really make sure that they, in the words of Olivia Pope, change the narrative and make sure that mm. Travis Scott comes out as unscathed uh, as, as much as possible and comes out and still being able to somehow resume his career. Because obviously, Travis Scott, I assume, will lay low and be quiet for a good year uh, or so after this. Because there were... I do believe it was planning to release an album before the end of the year, but obviously that's not going to happen now. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can't imagine because and it's kind of something that has been... Um, I've been dealing with myself, just the whole idea of the industry and just how soulless it can be and how there can just be a lack of sensitivity and a lack of mm-hmm. care for vulnerable people in vulnerable situations. Because, yes, we don't know. Obviously, it's the whole... Did Travis know what was going on? Because, you know, he said he didn't know. He didn't see anything. But then, obviously, there's that clip of him on stage performing. And you can see in the in the, in the the view that there's paramedics and there's people taking people away. And then also, the, that apparently, he parted with Drake straight after it happened and all these things and all that. All, that's, all that murky stuff is in the air right now. Um... So, yeah, but then obviously there's this PR person who's just having to make sure that, no, Travis is innocent and we need to focus on the authorities and make sure we get to the bottom of it and all that kind of stuff. So it was just all a mess. So just to know that people die, just like, like I think the death toll is, what, 10 people or something now? And then what the youngest may have been 10 years old. It's just like, no one should be losing their life at a music festival. But then I also want to discuss, I guess, Travis Scott's fans and also the culture and I guess the I guess the the production of his shows like you know it's very much about mosh pits and raging and you know these drugged out kids being freaky weirdos you know that's the culture of Travis Scott's fans and other 
other artists are like that. And you know, you know, you know, I'm not judging that. You know, everyone there's a time and place for that. Like I know Rico Nasty also had, kind of fosters those kind of environments, and it comes from a rock background, a punk background. You know, no matter how way you have your opinions on that, but it is worth noting that apparently Travis Scott has been. Um, arrested and set to pay fines for similar issues in the past for inciting riots and inciting uh, crowd surges in the past. So even prior to this recent Astro World thing, he's also dealt with this, which is I feel not really being discussed. So it kind of brings into question whether, even though even if Travis didn't know about this, he's obviously more than once been he's been at the forefront of a situation where his own shows, his own festival, his own concert has led to violence and people being injured. So, yeah, that's where I am. Sorry if that was rambled, ladies and gentlemen, and other and non-binaries out there. I hope that makes sense. I hope. I don't know if that's anything, mm. but yeah. hope that makes sense. No, it did. Um, I'm going to be honest, I feel very emotional right now. Um, very emotional. Um, you know, like hearing that people lost their lives is hard obviously um but i think it's more so you know it's very similar to the ariana grande situation um in terms of feeling is it in terms of feeling in terms of feeling. okay so you know people go to a space to feel safe to escape and enjoy and you know lose their lives there and it's heartbreaking man like when you when you think about kind of the role of music like music is there to liberate it's there to help people feel good and you know help them forget their worries and their fears and all of these different types of things and you've got you know people as young as 10 man like you got people as young as 10 going to this this festival yeah and just really just trying to enjoy their lives and um sorry i'm <laughs> you got you got people as much as you need <sighs> you got people as long as young as ten ten years old, just like literally enjoying the music, and there are some people that won't go home to their families and um to me that's just like it's horrible man and the thing is like it's sad also because you know i know it's probably not gonna be seen in the right way but i would hate to be travis scott right now i would really hate to be travis scott right now because you know living with that pain of you know ending some ending people's lives un unintentionally you know I, I think it's fair to say I don't think Travis Scott intended to kill anyone. I think that's that's very fair to say. Um, but at the same time, like, that must be soul-destroying, honestly. Um, because, like, it goes back to what the purpose of music is. It's to liberate. It's to, it's to help people feel good in the moments where they're lost. And um, I just feel feel it with them um all of these people who are suffering kind of in hospitals at the moment and um uh, you know it's hard 
Um, so like I'm sending love and support to all of these people just um, really hoping that they kind of see the other side of this and there are no more casualties that are, respond that are reported. I hope the families who have lost people are like really supported right now and it isn't a situation where you know you've got people saying oh don't worry about it you know like it's a festival and all of these different types of things um i just really hope the families are supported right now man because it's awful and um yeah that's pretty much everything that i have did you have anything else Shobe? no that's it so i guess that's the end of the show <laughs> sorry for bringing the vibe down people like i don't mean to like get emotional but it is like this is one of the things about recording this show and i think we've spoken about this in private but also like in the episode we released before this season emotionally it's very taxing sometimes um because we talk about very serious topics and you know we have to look at them and talk about them as events that are happening to celebrities but these are very real people at the same time so whilst i can in the same vein say that you know britney spears is someone who isn't being seen as a person she's being seen as a product I can look exactly the same way at so many different artists who are just trying to live their lives and um, they want to contribute to the world through their music and their humanity is forgotten about. And to me, that must be very, very kind of lonely. And um, yeah, so that's just something I kind of, that's one of the reasons it took me personally to come back to this show. Um, I have an issue of over empathizing and working through it in therapy and stuff but um when it comes to these celebrities they are human beings at the end of the day so i try and stay away from like knocking i think we all do on the show like knocking or kind of attacking people in any type of way that's not what we're about um so yeah as travis scott goes through this situation and you know he goes before a judge and has all these conversations and everything i just want to make it known that from me on the show I won't be attacking this person as they go through this. I've, I can see the issue with calling people to the stage and, you know, mosh pits and everything. I would be a hypocrite in saying that and then kind of congratulating artists for being great performers because there are loads of rappers that still do mosh pits and Chopé said it does come from rock and roll culture. Um, we just have to look at it all from a complete, complete scope, really, and kind of just see what happens as things go forward. But the main focus for me will always be the families the people who are no longer with us unfortunately the people who are currently in hospital and trying to recover and we send prayers and love that they recover soon as well um it's just a awful awful situation and um absolutely wish them the best but before i get emotional again um <laughs> um Shofi, do you have any anything else you wanted to add i want to shine a light on positivity um so obviously, like as we have said, Nick will not be partaking in this season. But um, I do want to shout out, you know, he's um, making a lot of strides in his blossoming career. And, you know, he's now a television star. So he was featured on Channel 4's Unapologetic with Ziz Mills and Yinka Bikini. And that aired on Thursday, I believe. You can stream it on 4OD if you want to have a look at his conversation on cultural appropriation and counterculture. But also he's been... Um, a burgeoning panellist with NTS Live and All Purpose London. So just want to send our love and congratulations to our third limb, 
for his uh, growing sledge and all that jazz. Absolutely. As always, love to Nick. And Shopper, you're not going to get away from the fact that on the podcast we haven't congratulated you for your award. So we're going to do that and you're going to stay silent for a second. But well done for your award and all of the praise and success you're getting um, in your career and um you know all of the writing and everything you're doing at the moment we have to spotlight you as well um and yeah i guess that's everything in terms of the show you can find us at d-a-t-s-p-o-d um on twitter instagram and all social medias individually i'm eden and you've got shop a as well but as always check them out on i am shop it no i am n tyrell and shop a showerton on instagram and twitter i don't use social media that's why i'm not putting my handle out there um But yeah, I think that's everything, guys. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode next week. Peace.